Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. All right, we're live. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend, and uh, this is a first ever for us, a completely live podcast here at the BHA Rendezvous uh, in Missoula, Montana. The year is 2023. It's cold outside, and we're here. But uh, no, uh, I'm sitting at a table with a group of uh, very expert wild game cooks and chefs, uh, and in front of me is an audience of people wondering why I'm talking into a microphone, staring at them awkwardly, but it's okay. <laughs> we'll deal with that later. So the, our intent here is uh, we're opening this up to be a, a Q&A for Wild Game. We have some talking points, but really uh, looking to answer any questions uh, the audience may have, and I think we've got enough knowledge between us to probably answer it. If not, I'll just tell you to Google it. No, I won't do that. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll work through it. And then two, uh, so we started a new segment uh, back back a couple months ago uh, called, uh, my mind's blanking, let's, let's create a meal. Okay, yeah, good. let's create a meal. So we're going to do that. And so normally how we do that is I just scroll through Instagram until I find a piece of meat. And then whoever's on the podcast with me, we just build a dish around it. But this time... I'll put it out to you guys, and you can, like, give us the ingredients, and then we'll just put it together into something at the end. And then usually what happens is, like, a couple months later, one of us will end up preparing it, and then we post it up on, on the website as actual recipe. I think what was the first one we did? You and I. We did uh, braised goose legs with, uh, I think, uh, clove with um, 
braised cabbage. Yep. And, yeah. Beer really braised. Yeah. Braised. And then he made it. Yeah. And it was and really it, tasty. It was good. And we, I, I would say we haven't made any bad food off of it yet, but let's, uh, I'm going to make sure I had it in my notes. So also too, so thinking through uh, house rules, if you guys just want to ask a question, just pop up to the microphone and that'll cue me that you're going to ask a question and then we'll go from there. But uh, first we'll do some intros. So I'm Justin Townsend, the host of the podcast, as well as the founder and editor chief of Harvesting Nature. Wow, that's a lot of hats, but... Um, I, uh, I, I found in Harvesting Nature back in 2011 is like this uh, place where people can come and find, uh, find inspiration, find education, recipes, wild food, adventures, whatever. Like our goal is to get people outside, outdoors, like engaged in, in the food chain, not at the middle of it, more at the top of it. But uh, we want folks to, to go out and find their own food. And, and I think that was the main reason we've done all this. It's the main reason we've put together the show and you know, all the things that we've done from TV stuff, from books, from magazines, like everything, like it's just about food. Um, I like to eat, I like to cook, um, and that kind of went from there. But I will pass it off, uh, I'll pass it off, we'll start down there with Adam, uh, give a brief introduction. Hey, uh, I'm Adam Steele. You may remember me from such films as yesterday. Uh, no, we're uh Happy to be here. I run a, a small abattoir in Florida, um, processing domestic and wild game. And uh, met these knuckleheads a few years ago. Actually, I think I first saw Justin's ad about 12 years ago for uh, needing writers. And here we are. So happy to be here and uh, look forward to it. Go ahead. All right. Um, I'm Ricky Folger. I'm based out of Denver. I uh, just started with Harvesting Nature, and I'm super excited to be up here with these um, awesome gentlemen. They're very knowledgeable and awesome chefs. Um, I just started hunting a couple of years ago, so very new to it, but I've been in the restaurant industry for about 13, 14 years. Um, so I really just wanted to be more connected to my food and know where it's coming from, and it's just been an amazing experience thus far. Uh, Jeff Benda. I'm out of Fargo, North Dakota. Um, the founder of Wild Game and Fish Media, but I actually um, got my start in the um, Wild Game cooking recipe uh, thing. I, Justin found me on Hank Shaw's Facebook group and asked if uh, he could publish one of my recipes, and that was uh, just over two years ago, and now um, I was able to uh, quit the day job, and now I'm doing this full-time, so I do hunting photography, food photography, um, in the wild game cooking space. Yeah, it sounds like I stalk people on social media. I promise I don't. <laughs> yes, it does. But I'm also, it's, it's great. And I'm also a regular contributor for Harvesting Nature. So we've got recipes on their website. I'm Adam Brooklemans. I'm, I'm the intrepid eater on social media. I have a website as well, dealing with uh, mostly wild food. I'm a passionate forager and uh, I'm an adult onset hunter. So I've only been doing it for a while, but I've been really getting into it. Um, passionate knows the tail eater. Um, I'm also the managing editor for Harvesting Nature. So I've been working with these guys for a couple years now and have started that role recently and uh, absolutely love it. And, and yeah, happy to be here. Sorry, I got a weird notification from 7-Eleven. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to see my notes. I'm like, oh. Um, no, uh, thanks for everybody for your introduction. Super glad to have you here. And so I mentioned if you guys have a question, just pop up the microphone and go, and we'll go from there. But otherwise, I will start us off with uh, um, 
talking about uh, so main focus being like cooking tips, tricks, like how can how can we improve our wild game cooking? What can we do to make things better? And uh, so yesterday at our, our food panel, we talked a lot about myths and had that group of folks up there busting myths. But today I want to focus a little more on technique. So and one of those being uh, commonly what I hear a lot of people say is like, I've got this wild game, but I haven't quite figured out like, what are my left and right limits when it comes to temperature? Where do I land? How do I not overcook something? And the majority of people that tell me they've had wild game and they're like, I don't like it. And I was like, well, how was it prepared? And they're like, oh, well, so-and-so threw it and they did all this and they handed me this steak on a plate and it was just this like gray roasty bit. And I'm like, well, that's the first thing too, right? We talk a lot about the comparison of wild food and, and domestic meat and just, uh, the nuances between the two, but I think probably one of the biggest one is like domestic meats much more forgiving because of the fat content and really that, uh, that fat content there allows for, you know, a little bit of overcooking, a little bit of under because you've got that added moisture wild game generally, you know, excluding some very fatty animals, depending on diet is generally very, very lean and very susceptible to overcooking. And so something that, um, can go quickly from a yummy delicious thing to like shoe leather very very quickly so one thing i always recommend people do is meat thermometers like meat thermometers meat thermometers meat thermometers if you don't have one get one if you have one have another just in case one doesn't work right and check them compete them against themselves (laughs) um i don't know thoughts from uh overcooking yeah i think um kind of an easier way because there's it's really cut dependent so some cuts need to be cooked for a long time, other cuts should be only cooked for a short time. If we go through every single cut, you can try to write them down and remember, but there's a bit of an easier way that generally works. If you take, a, say, a, a deer with the head here and the tail here, cut it diagonally, everything on the top side cook for a shorter time, everything on the bottom side cook longer. So sh- shoulders, neck, shanks should be cooked for a long time, braised slowly, um, back straps, hindquarters, will often be better cooked um, very lightly with a medium or medium rare center. There's obviously, um, you can go beyond that and, and do applications for that are different, but if you just want an easy way to think about it, I think that's the, the best way to go at it. Yeah, and a good uh, tip. So back in the world of restaurants, you learn to like feel steaks to determine doneness too, and I think that applies to wild game, but you have like uh, you're rare, medium, rare, medium, and well done based on the pressure. So when you do that, it changes the pressure here. So you can like get a good gauge if you don't have one in a hot or a meat thermometer like in a hot minute. But ultimately that. Okay. But. So since this is a podcast, Justin was pressing on his hand. <laughs> oh, yeah. So <laughs> I'm performing for you guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. not for the other listeners. <laughs> so it's show it's up Depending today. on the temperature, it's, yeah. So what, do you want to do that again? And, yeah. So. so if you take your uh, pointer finger, for <laughs> lack of a better term, <laughs> and your thumb and put them together and press at the base of your thumb, then that little soft chunk of meat on your hand, uh, that would represent what a well done, or no, sorry, rare steak would feel like if you press the top open hand. Huh? Mid-rare. Oh, yeah. Medium, mid-well, well. Yeah, so what Adam open said. Open hand, rare, mid-rare, medium, You got to talk on the microphone, well. Adam. Oh. Talking to the microphone. So yeah, what <laughs> Justin was saying like your open palm is rare. Is rare, yeah. and you make the okay, the okay, okay. sign, and you put your pointer finger and your thumb t- t- together. That's mid rare. Thumb and your middle finger is medium. 
Thumb in your ring finger is mid-well, and thumb in your pinky is well done. Man, I've been overcooking steaks or undercooking yeah. steaks. <laughs> <laughs> and, but just so you know, if you have arthritis, it'll be off about three degrees. <laughs> just get a meat thermometer. It'll be fine. Yeah. 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 Um, I would also recommend taking your meat out and letting it come up to temperature out of the fridge for maybe an hour or two. That will allow the center, <clears throat> excuse me, the center to be cooked and the outside to be not overly well done as well. So. Well, that's a good segue because I had uh, thawing on, on my list of oh, things to so like proper thawing techniques. Um, what are some ways you guys thaw meat? Anybody? Cool water is a good one, yeah. Any others? Fridge. That's a good one, yeah. I, uh, what I generally do, I've got uh, a plastic container that's got a, like, um, a raised portion at the bottom, and I'll actually take the meat out of the package and I'll put it in that container and put that in the fridge and it allows all the extra liquid to go pool in the bottom and then the meat doesn't sit in it. So then once you pull it out, you get like a nice dry, dry piece of meat. Cause like when it comes to like searing, roasting, getting that like Maillard reaction, you need the heat to have access to the proteins to create that Maillard reaction. If you've got a lot of liquid in there, you're not going to get as much of a sear unless you use mayonnaise on your steaks, which sounds odd, but it totally works. <laughs> dry equals crispy. Yeah. Dry equals crispy. So I don't know. And I don't know when you guys are, so I started doing this a few years ago. Um, and I, I, I got it from one of my hunting buddies, but so I'll go in every two years to the grocery store. And you know where you have the produce bags? And I'll, and I'll add, now the manager knows me, but, because um, now I've started to come every year. But so I'll get a roll of those. So he'll sell me a roll, one of the big giant rolls. He charges me $8. And then I'll put my steaks um, or roasts in one of those produce bags, tie that up, and then I'll vacuum seal. Because that way, when you're thawing out the meat, and you're, I'm no longer single. So, um, when meat starts to thaw and you have a pool of blood at the bottom of your refrigerator, A, it's not good for food safety, but two, um, you'll have very upset uh, a spouse, so, uh, especially when it's mixing with other things. So, uh, so I, it, it's, it's something that I've done now. So anytime I butcher for clients now, I actually, uh, I'll put it in one of those um, produce bags, get all the air out, and, and tie it up and then I'll put it in the vacuum seal bag um, and it it's it's worked I mean it's it's helped a lot so just here's a hot tip for what so when you're thawing out meat to prevent it and I and generally then I'll put it on a I don't know what do you guys do you guys set the bag just in the fridge or do you put it on a pan do, do you put it on a pan okay yeah a rimmed pan hopefully yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> And same goes for fish, actually, too. You want to, like, thaw out your fish slowly, maybe in the fridge on a piece of uh, paper towel or, or elevated, and, and then once it's, once it's thawed, it will actually be uh, dry on top and develop a bit of a pellicle, which will help sear it later. Your fish will be much better. If you get it in the backpack bags and then just rip it open and throw it in the pan, it's just going to stew instead of sear. Um, so you want that to be nice and dry. Um, I... I'm just thinking through the plastic plastic bag and the plastic bag and trying to like wrap my head around it. I think it's a good idea. I just don't know how I feel yet. <laughs> <laughs> Sharing my feelings with everybody. But um, no, so another really common thing I hear is like 
how do I season? What do I season with? How much do I season? So first off, go inside and buy the Harvesting Nature seasonings, like self-shameless <laughs> plug. But no, um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of season. Like season not to cover up taste, I think is an important caveat, but season to enhance taste. And I think that that's really important when it comes to game because we've got unique flavors that not a lot of people deal with, right? And you're making them for yourself, but you're also sharing them. So you want something that's palatable to other people as well. And I think a lot of times uh, folks are afraid to season. And I think that game in particular can be seasoned extra level and it can still like take it because it's a big, bold flavor. Mm -hmm. that kinda, that's kind of in line with what we, we talked about, I think, when I line my thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you have a chicken breast, like a factory farm boneless, skinless chicken breast, and you hit it with the same amount of seasoning you would as a, a duck or, or a venison steak, it's going to be overwhelming. But all those, uh, all those flavors coming out of wild game, and we talk a lot about meat terroir and, and how the environment that the animal is in uh, affects the flavor and accentuates the flavor with certain things of what they've been eating, whether it's blueberries or acorns or corn or... Uh, cedar um, those flavors are going to be coming through so when you're seasoning while game you can go heavier on that to accentuate those flavors and also to um, bring it to a whole new level it's delicious with salt but it's also delicious when it's you can hit it harder with seasoning I think the type of salt that you're using is key as well because not all salt is created equal um, for seasoning, I like to use kosher salt, or I think gray salt does a really good job, depending on what the meat is. But the little white bottle of table salt generally isn't the best to season with, I found. Yeah, and I, if, um, if, if you guys would go in the back of the kitchen, some of us have worked restaurants, if you went in the back of the kitchen and saw how much salt we used on meat, uh, you know, to season it, you would probably be shocked. But... Um, but but here's a, if, if, for the field-to-table dinner on, on Thursday night, um, when Nathan and I were doing the bison um, for the steak course, and we seasoned that bison, we seasoned the steaks uh, and the, the roast before, so we put a, a bunch of salt in, on there, then we grilled it, and then when we took it off, I sliced it and then seasoned it again with more salt. So, I mean, just, so don't be, now, you don't want to, like, we weren't doing that to cover up the taste of the bison, but again, to um, just, uh, it, you just need to be aware of that. And I think it's, it's kind of trial and error, especially on your steaks. Um, it's one thing. Don't be scared to do salt and pepper. If, if you watch a Gordon Ramsay video on YouTube and watch him roll that steak in a lot of salt um, before he does that, and then he's seasoning it again at the end. Um, and if you'll, you'll see that on cooking videos. And it's the same thing. It's because that's what we do. So it's just something to, um, you know, it, I wouldn't do that with all of your seasoning, you know, but salt and pepper is generally safe. And like, um, like Ricky said, you know, getting a good salt is, is well worth it. I say, why, why sprinkle when you can spoon? Maybe not with salt. Two things, the two most common mistakes with cooking wild game, overcooked and underseasoned. Yeah, definitely. I, I would say. Uh, I also, too, like, I, I try to incorporate more, like, fresh herbs and stuff in there. I know Adam's mentioned it before, but, like, getting, if you're out hunting and you know the forageables around, like, those are good additions because it does play into, like, that terroir, which, by the way, terroir is like a wine term that people use to reference uh, 
you know, the, how the natural environment affects the flavor of wine. We just like copied it and applied it to meat. So meat terroir, which sounds really good and makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Um, but using those sort of like forageables and herbs or whatever you may find out in that same environment are really going to impart good flavors across both, you know, both ingredients, but also enhance your dish. But I think the use of fresh herbs over dried herbs, I think there's a time and a place for both, but I think leaning towards the value of fresh herbs from a flavor aspect is probably, uh, usually like 10 times over, you're going to get more flavor. Like if you took dried cilantro and added to a dish, you're going to have to put a lot more to compensate on what you would add fresh. And like also understand the time of when to put that fresh herb into your dish thinking, do I want it? How much of that flavor do I want to impart? Because if you put it early on in the dish, then everything's going to get that element of that herb versus the very end of the dish where you may be finishing it. So then it turns into like, oh, I only get it when I get a bite of it or towards the tail end of the preparation where you're like, all right, I have a hint of sage, but it's not like I'm eating a bush of sage. (laughs) So um, um, on that same on that same topic, like we're talking about how wild game can take on big flavors and big flavors aren't just in spices. You can use like wild game goes great with like fish sauce, garlic, gochujang, lime, like all these, like you can go Caribbean or Asian or African with it and use these bold flavors and your wild game can work with that amazingly. So don't feel constricted to just, um, you know, garlic, salt, and pepper, or thyme and rosemary, which are traditional and delicious, but you can go elsewhere in your wild, wild game can take to it very well. So explore international flavors and you, you won't regret it. So I think another very like important aspect that people talk about when it comes to wild game is like the cooking by cut. Um, so when you go to the grocery store and you buy a piece of meat, it's labeled, you know what cut it is. They're like, you have your, your, uh, you have your quarters, you have your primals, you have your seam cuts, and you have your grocery store cuts. And so what we're trying to sort of bring forward a, a lot, um, and we're actually working on a project to do this, but uh, is like cooking by cuts, right? So how does this wild game cut compare to this cut in the grocery store? Not from a flavor or ingredient standpoint, but just like, you know, a top round from beef and top round from a deer can be prepared in the same manner because biologically the you know the fibers are the same the muscles are laid out generally the same way and i think important to understand that so we as hunters tend to typically label steaks roast ground that's it right but in reality something that may be a roast because it's a big hunk of meat could actually be broken down into steaks like top sirloin like i cut that down there's those make great steaks so just thinking about it like how do i do this but then also when you're looking for recipes if you're not looking for a wild game specifically written recipe you're trying to sort of figure it out you can search like recipe for bottom round and you're going to get you know you may get a beef recipe but you can take that same cut of meat and apply it yeah so yeah like a ribeye recipe is not going to work for your bottom round venison roast but a bottom round beef recipe will likely do it so knowing your cuts and then getting butchering yourself if you can and and labeling everything properly will help you in the kitchen later on for sure yeah if you guys go out in the field um so i pre-label ziploc bags before i go out because a i'm in north dakota um and it can either be 80 degrees or 
it's, it could be below zero. On, and so, um, and sometimes uh, permanent markers don't work in that when it's that cold. So I'll actually pre-label the bag. And so um, I'll have my, um, generally I'm leaving it on like a whole, like I'll pack it out if it's not right next to the truck. Sometimes I'm that lucky, but generally not. <laughs> um, so like my elk was, uh, my North Dakota elk was three miles from the truck. So, but, so I packed it bone in. The reason I want to do that, or packed it out bone in, the reason I want to do that is that way when I get back and I butcher it, I know what those cuts are. That way it's not deer steak. Well, that could be, is that, and you know, I, when I first was having somebody butcher it, that's how it was labeled, right? So I want to know what the eye of round is, bottom round, top round, back strap, tenderloins, but I'll do that. So um, I'll pre-label. So I do have a bag that's labeled tenderloins, um, back strap, trim, um, uh, tongue, um, kidneys. I mean, I've got like, you know, it's, it's the liver. So I've got bags for everything. Um, so I can identify those cuts too. Uh, so before I get back, so that way I'm, when I'm throwing it in the cooler, I just don't have a, a mess of meat, you know, just a big pile of meat. So I think there's a lot of times you see people asking for a recipe for how do I cook a rump roast? And you're like, which part of the rump? Which roast is it? You don't treat a shoulder roast the same way you do a hindquarter roast. So knowing that muscle group and the technique to apply to it, um, again, like Justin said, cooking by cut, knowing how to apply the techniques you have to that cut of meat will get you a long ways. I blame the stamp industry uh, for this problem because they only made three stamps that they sold to butchers. <laughs> no, um, I, I think it's just something like as as folks want to you know improve upon and build upon where they stand with preparation of wild food. Like it's it's a vital thing. Like always be moving forward. Always be looking like, hey, how can I make this taste better? Hey, and of course that may be just how my mind works, but I don't know. I I. I think there's an appetite, pun intended, for uh, <laughs> an increase <laughs> in uh, in knowledge and sharing, and I think that's great. So, um, you remember, we, we can ask questions too if anyone is interested. Step up the mic there, please, so we can get your voice recorded. So, for you guys who look at cuts of meat all the time and like know, like, you're, I mean, this gets into like the butchering of like how long does it take you to like learn and memorize like over time the different like cuts of meat because i am fortunate if i get like a, an animal a year or something like that yeah. and even though like my dad's an animal scientist and a meat judge and he's tried to teach me <laughs> every fucking year <laughs> that we got a white tail back home is like this is what this cut is this is what that cut is using both the regular and the scientific terms i still can't get them in my mind and so i think of for like normal people like how like what are there certain like resources that you got to refresh yourself or would you recommend to like make sure that you're knowing what each muscle group is and how to label it properly. Do you have any like either tips, tricks or resources that are good? Sure. Like I'll, I'll be straight up. I'm, I'm, uh, I still am very rusty on that. Uh, probably the most expert in that panel or in that knowledge is, is Adam at the end, but I still Google things sometimes. And like, if you were to bring me a like bus tub full of meat and you're like, here's this meat package and label it. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, so it's not just me. No, no. <laughs> 
Um, but I think, uh, so, I mean, I'll go ahead and talk about here. We're working on a cookbook called Cooking by Cuts, uh, and it's going to break down, and it's going to talk about each cut, and then we're going to provide recipes for that cut. But So that'll be a great resource once it comes out. But I think there's a great amount of information on the Internet. There's also a great amount of over-information and mislabeling of cuts on the Internet as well, I think. Uh, we did actually, BHA did a field table series of videos three years ago, and there is one where we broke down a hindquarter of a deer, so all the parts are labeled. Is that on YouTube? It's out there somewhere, yes. It's on the internet. <laughs> Trey Curtis <laughs> is the man to talk to. I would say just link. like what but I'm butchering from is just open That's up. a good resource. That's, right. that's out there, video, we break it down, label everything, so. There's also, there's one to, um, so if you go on YouTube and you, and you do it, I know um, the Bearded Butchers have done one, because um, anytime they post anything, I have a friend who sends me a link. He's like, oh, this is great, you should try this. I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. So, um, but I think Cabela's did a, a full breakdown. So like if you do, and, and when, you, when you enter it in on YouTube, it'll be breakdown of hind quarter, and then breakdown of, of, of front, okay? Just, there's gonna be different videos for each. But I know the, um, there's, there's quite a few that are out there, but it, there's definitely a couple that are good quality, and they take you literally step by step. They have it all laid out, so you're going to be able to see the cuts um, of those, and then, and then we can also – I'm going to look for that BHA version too. But, yeah. I can't remember. There's another good video. It's a uh, guy's gentleman's name is Josh McFadden. He's out of Canada, and I can't remember the name of the organization that he's working with, but he does a pretty, like – pretty high quality breakdown of some quarters and stuff like that and you get it laid out too we also we have a cool t-shirt inside that's got the back quarters all broken down if you're uh if you're interested to so in that. wear that on your hunts yeah i need to check this one <laughs> um no, I think that's the that's all really good too. Uh, another thing is we were talking about backstraps and things like that. There's like three sections of a backstrap, by mm -hmm. the way, that each have a different application. I know commonly I've done it in the past, like you just break them all down to stakes and go. But like that front part of the backstrap can be treated, uh, can be you know brazed and broken down because it's got a lot of like more sinew and stuff in it. So just thinking through that that thought jogged in my head that there's there's different uses too of big cuts and different parts of those cuts we'll say like the grocery store cuts or not even grocery store cuts but like seam cuts which are following along those muscle groups different parts of that particular muscle are good for different things like you could take i don't know what's a good example adam of like one part of a cut may be good for a steak but one part super so the um, top round has two muscle groups the See the abductor and the semimembrosus, if I remember correctly. So there's two different muscles. One extends the muscle and one brings it back up. So you're looking at two different, within the same basic subprimal, two different muscle groups that do two different things. So that's the one example off the top of my head that I can think of that semimembranosus and abductor. Um, the adductor is a smaller one that, that contracts the muscle. Um, you can cut that off and then you can take the other one and cut it across the grain into stakes and then leave that adductor hole as a stake. That's the one off the top of my head that I can think of that's... So if you guys go to harvestingnature.com next week, there'll be a... Adam's going to have a blackened abductor 
<laughs> recipe. <laughs> Look for it. <laughs> so, um, I, I think another you know, too is like we hit on uh, we hit a little bit on labeling, but I think that's really important. Label generally the way I label is I label the year, the animal, the location. Just like it could be like you know, Y uh, pronghorn or whatever, just so I know like where it came from and, and that, because like we talked about that terroir piece, like I want to think through that sometimes a little bit. Um, and then obviously labeling what the cut is, but we've all found the mystery meat piece in the bottom of the freezer. And often the question is like, I get a picture of meat in which we've already identified. I'm not a meat identification expert. So, uh, somebody's like, Hey, uh, how do I prepare this? And you're like, I don't know, uh, like, where did it come from? What's it off of? You start like the 20 questions and people are like, I don't know. Somebody gave it to me, you know, at a party and here I am with this mystery meat. <laughs> um, so I think Adam's got some great suggestions for, for common things to do. And I'm sure other folks as well have had some experiences with it. Yeah. So you often be given uh, a leg steak, whatever that is. Uh, often the butchers will just freeze the leg and whip it through the bandsaw, and then you'll have some random steak with like a bunch of different muscle cuts. And you're like, okay, cool, I'll put it in the skillet or on the grill, and it just buckles on you because there's all these different seams and, and, and connector points on it. Uh, it's not a great cut. And, and any of these mystery cuts, like you're, a lot of people's immediate reaction is just to throw it on the grill. And you're like, oh, this is tough and, and horrible. Um, if you have a mystery cut that you've been given or in the bottom of the freezer you've forgotten because you didn't label it properly, you're like, I'll remember this in a year. There's no way you're going to ever remember. Uh, braise it. Because even, even lean cuts can braise okay. Uh, cinnamon cuts braise better, but you'll always be, uh, you can be confident that it'll be tasty at the end and not chewy or grisly or whatever if you don't know what that piece of meat is. So sear it. Uh, cover it with some liquid and cook it nice and slow until it's falling apart and throw it on a taco and you can't go wrong. So mystery meat, tacos, you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, uh, braising, it, that's, that's the technique. So braising, for anybody that doesn't know, is low heat with liquid. So that's, that's the technique that you're going to want to learn for those mystery meats. Just like... Uh, Beef bourguignon is probably one that come to mind. Like if you're thinking through a recipe of like a comparable one, um, stocks for like the braising liquids. You can use a lot of different things and different combinations. Um, you can use stock. You can use just water. I always recommend if you're thinking of using water in a dish, use stock instead and use a stock that's that animal uh, because that's gonna like just double your flavor. Also, too, so our podcast producer, who will be listening to this, uh, because, um, he takes and saves his braising liquid. So if he braises something at the end, you can either, what's common, you can either discard the braising liquid, you can keep it and use it as a pan sauce, and so you thicken it up in a pan and use that to sauce your dish, or you can save it and reuse it. So he saves and reuses it, t- puts it in a jar, puts it in the freezer. Next time he's going to braise something, he pulls it out, you know, thaws it out, and then adds that. But the flavor that's imparted, I went to his house and visited him and, like, had a little taste of the braising liquid. And, like, you're like, whoa, this is great. It's just got so many things. It tastes like white-tailed deer and mule deer and all these herbs and other liquids that he's added in, garlic. And you're just like, this is great. So that's a cool, fun, hot tip, too, of just, like, keep saving it and using it, using it, using it. You need a little more add a little more stock to it like keep it going but that flavor will intensify over time yeah when it comes to uh, packaging too 
it, I don't know if anybody has young kids. So now my daughter's seven, but um, if anybody has young kids or grandkids, and when it's time to package, when you're when you're packaging it up after you've broken everything down, um, she draws. Once I, she wants to help label the bags. Um, that isn't really a great idea um, if they don't spell well. But if you have colored permanent markers, she will then, it's her job um, the last two years to draw a picture of dad on the hunt or if she was with me on that hunt. So now there's the whole story and she loves it. So it just, and it keeps her entertained while, because as we all know, processing can be a very long day. Um, so she's in charge of that. So um, it can be a little bit fun, but just, so when you're trying to label things, um, you know, you can, you can get the kids involved and you can give them, you know, markers and then they can, they can draw a picture of, um, of something like that or just pick a draw, picture of a deer or a pheasant. So that way, she's like, that way you know dad that this was the antelope. And I was like, yeah, that looks like an antelope. And she goes, and this is the deer. Can you see the difference? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Because one's blue and one's red, right? So, yeah. Ricky, thoughts on, uh, thoughts on mystery meat preparation yeah. suggestions? Um, braising is my go-to for cooking a lot of different things. And that's where you can definitely get creative with your flavorings, too. Um, and understanding, cooking can be intimidating a little bit, but what I found is as long as you understand how to build your flavors and have a good stockpile of ingredients in your house, you can make pretty much anything. Um, so again, good salt, um, some type of vinegar, like red wine vinegar or white wine vinegar, depending on what you're cooking. Um, definitely stocks. Um, I use chicken and beef stock a lot just because I don't have access to wild game stock a lot of the time but it works just as well um, and I think the only time I use water is making coffee boiling pasta and potatoes so definitely always use some sort of flavored liquid when braising this episode is brought to you by Reese's peanut butter cups in breaking news Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm going to pop up to the mic. Sorry to put you front and center. We're going to capture it for the internet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I um, so I was born and raised in Montana in a hunting family, so I've killed quite a few things over the years. Um, we like to use as much of the animal as possible, and I love the heart, um, but haven't really found something that's 
awesome. I try to do something different every time. Um, boiling it is really the only thing I've found to kind of soften it. Um, do you guys have any other thoughts or methods that I could do to not have it come out so freaking tough all the time? Sure. Yep. And, you know, I don't know, make it into something more than steaks or tacos. Do you <laughs> marinate it at all? Um, I mean, not really. I haven't. I, I would recommend doing an overnight marinade maybe for 24 hours with lemon juice or something acidic to kind of help oh, break, break it, it down. down. Yeah. Um, and that's after you clean it and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, um, and sure. then maybe getting a meat mallet and just I've, hammering yeah, it down I've a bit. That. Um, yeah, but. And then how we cooked it at the lodge, we grilled it just okay. to a nice medium rare and sliced it really thin. And it yeah. was really, really tender that way. Oh, nice. Yeah, the, th the thing with heart is you either have to cook it up to medium tops, so you're, you should be eating it rare, medium rare, yeah. or braise it for a really long time. Okay. Anything in between is going to be super tough. Uh, and that's where you generally try to go to somewhere in between, and then it's never going to be good. So you want to like marinate it, like we said, sear it or in a skillet or on the grill, and eat it medium rare. It'll be nice and tender. Slice it kind of thin. Or cook it until you can put a fork in and you can feel that it's nice and tender. So that's going to be several hours, not just like half an hour. Yeah. So cook it really shortly or really long, and that's your only two options. Really okay. With, with heart. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you. Also, too, like I have a uh, I have a really good recipe that's my usually go to for heart. It's like based off a of Japanese like yakitori, which is a chicken heart recipe. And I did uh, during COVID, we were doing cooking classes, and this was the one recipe that I taught for the cooking class. But you take the heart, and so you think of a heart like a bell pepper, right? And you take the top off, you take the inside out, and you're left with the outside. So if you lay that out with a lay that out flat, and then you're doing just that, putting it in a marinade. And I, I can give you the recipe for the marinade, uh, but you lay that out, and then you cut it into strips, like eh, half inch to an inch, pretty pretty small. And well, missed a step. So you do you pound it, or you can use like Jeff likes the jacquard. Uh, Jacquard meat tenderizer. Yeah, that's a super Amazon cool, twenty five bucks. Yeah, super cool tool. You <laughs> press it down. It has all these like little prongs, and it basically like punctures the meat, but breaks up some of those fibers. Yep. So you can do those methods, and then you take that strip and you weave it, zigzag it onto a bamboo skewer, or if you want to be sustainable, buy metal skewers because the bamboo ones always catch on fire. You can't reuse them, all that stuff. And then, uh, then you take this extra bit of the marinade that you didn't put the meat in and you use that to base as you're grilling and you grill it and it goes pretty quick but then you slide that off the skewer serve it over like plain white rice topped with some green onions and it is like it is magical i love it so much it's my favorite way to prepare hearts i had a uh emily who helps us with our our wild pig camp she's a shooting instructor she cooked for a veterans dinner and it was like uh, a, a load of folks that never would be very adventurous for their wild game eating and she prepared this and they went through like 20 hearts <laughs> she's like everybody just kept coming back coming back for more and then she shared the recipe and she's like i continue to get pictures of people like they've prepared this dish so it's 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 a good one you guys give it a try we'll uh i don't think it's up on the website but i'll work on getting the recipe off of my hard drive and onto the website for the world <laughs> but um Let's see. So, any other thoughts on that question? I think I did bring up the jacquard yesterday. So, when I did the, the, the cooking demonstration yesterday and I did mule deer steak and bighorn sheep, and it was a nine-year-old bighorn sheep, um, and I used that jacquard, and, and 
cooked it medium rare and then sliced it thin and um some people got medium on the end but uh but i mean it was it just makes the world of difference so using that jacquard meat tenderizer instead of using a mallet i do for all of my clients when i'm butchering um any deer elk bighorn sheep so i'm i'm using that jacquard on all the on the steaks and it's just it's made a world of difference so i highly recommend it a question can you give me ideas for the dark meat on wild turkey? What I've come to is I'm pressure cooking about 45 minutes in a real rich stock with some red wine in there and then smoking it. But what I'm finding is that, at least in Washington, the birds seem to have some fat that doesn't melt at those temperatures, neither in the pressure cooker nor in mm. my smoker, and I wind up with some weird some off chunks bits. of fat yeah. that are okay. You can eat around them. But I'm trying not to break it all down into something like tacos or stew and have something that still looks like a nice piece of meat. Sure. Dark meat on turkeys. Um, Legs or thighs are you working with? I take the breast up and smoke it just till it's done and everything else is basically what I'm dealing with. So the legs, the thighs, the back, everything else is what I'm looking to get. Um, Well, connective tissue, um, those tendons will start to render into collagen at about 180 degrees so it's a, a textural thing i can't speak to fat on a turkey we don't have that much of fat in florida they only on have turkeys. skinny turkeys in florida uh, <laughs> so but i would think any technique um adding water so rendering fat you would cube it up throw it in water and that would break it down um, but the dark meat itself, again, braising is a great technique. But you said you, you wanted it to kind of stay whole and not break apart. That's going to be the, the tough part. Sous vide may be an app, applic, applicable technique here if, if that's something that you have access to. Um, that will get you that texture without breaking down. So you can actually take it out and chill it, and it'll, it'll look like a whole piece of meat, but it'll still have that tenderness. And then if you trim the fat off and render it separately in water, I think that's, that's probably going to get you there. I think, uh, do you know what confit, confit is? Yeah. Uh, I think that might be a good application too, because you'll end up slow cooking fat and uh, ending up with the whole pieces still that you can then sear. And... I have a feeling that would help solve that problem. You may, have, you may have to add a little bit of fat to get enough for a confit, but that's a, that's yeah. a great technique. Do you want to go over a confit, Ricky? Yeah, um, so basically you are cooking the piece of meat, in this case the turkey leg, in its own fat, but turkeys generally don't have as much fat as you need. Especially Florida turkeys. Yeah, <laughs> skinny little legs they have. <laughs> Um, but cooking it low and slow, so it's still super, you know, moisturized and, and delicious. But yeah. So what's another fat they can use? Oh, duck fat. Duck fat. Duck yeah, fat. duck fat is my go-to for literally everything. Um, you can buy it. I think they have it at like Whole Foods or, or something. It's, you can buy duck fat. Whole Foods yeah. in, jars. in a jar. Mm-hmm. It is delightful. It's one of my favorites. Um, but yeah, basically low temperature for a very long time because you do want to break down those connective tissues for sure just to get a more enjoyable bite yeah you can use yeah, all, olive, you know, oil, like. olive oil or, or butter or uh pork fat or duck fat it's any fat really so whatever whatever floats your boat whatever you can get your hands on 
and then whatever, then you can start experimenting which fat flavor goes well with the meat you're doing it. Um, Pork fat is pretty neutral, yeah. and it's it's easily accessible. Mm-hmm. So if you can't get anything else, I would start there. Question. Um, I can't figure out how to make the liver not taste like blood. So I have cooked it several different ways, like bacon, onions, mushrooms. I've done like a country fried steak, um, but I just don't like the taste, and I'm trying to like it. (laughs) It's fair. I I am not a liver fan. Natalie Uh, just took my cookbook recipe. Liver that doesn't taste like butt. Um, (laughs) It was my cookbook recipe title idea so now that's out there <laughs> i actually have some uh turkey liver pate sitting back there in the refrigerator if you'd like to try it yeah yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I'll tell you a story the only time i've ever made myself sick from my own cooking was with liver i tried to do and this was probably a shame on me i was trying to make antelope liver pate which did not come out well. Uh, I grabbed the older of the two doe antelope livers, and it was... I, I got it through all the cooking, so I soaked it. Uh, I forget if I soaked it in milk or salt water. Um, and then cut it up and cooked it, put it in the blender, added the cream to it, added the... Uh, I don't know if I was using brandy or cognac or what I was, and then went to go taste it, but it was still hot. And... Probably the grossest thing I've ever had, and I immediately had to go to the bathroom. But <laughs> never made anyone else sick from my cooking. <laughs> but myself, it's different. You just about made me sick. <laughs> yeah. I, I can taste that. <laughs> um, I think that for, for livers, there's a lot of uh, different dishes you can go to. Like the, the liver and onions or like the fried liver with like your traditional things. If you don't like liver, it, it's never going to change. But you can go with a pate and just do strong flavors like... Uh, I did like a maple whiskey one. I've done clementines. You do lots of spice, lots of uh, something like orange juice or wine or whiskey or something that's going to really help in. There's so much flavor in liver that it's never going to overpower it, but it can actually make it a little more palatable. Um, and another really good way to get liver into you is uh, dirty rice. Yeah. Like Cajun dirty rice. There's something about it. It can absorb a lot of that liver somehow and not come off as intensely livery. It comes instead as like rich and it, once again it's very highly seasoned. Really so so stray away from those like traditional just seared whatever and start doing different things with the liver to to experiment with it. I wrote a recipe a couple of years back and I think it ended up on uh, the meat eater website, but it uh, boudin balls. So yeah. I started my culinary journey as a as a chef in New Orleans and like boudin in Louisiana is phenomenal. If you haven't had boudin, make boudin. If you haven't had boudin, go to a gas station in Louisiana and get boudin. That's usually where you're going to find the best. Um, But making it with game livers is really great because you're adding rice, you're adding spices, you're adding ground meat in there to like, one, you're stretching out, you're taking a liver, adding a couple pounds of meat to it and the rice, and now you're creating like 10 pounds of sausage, which is great. And But if you don't want to case it, you can roll it into balls uh, do an egg wash and then, or not an egg wash, I guess it would be a, no, it would be an egg wash. Uh, and then roll it in breadcrumbs and fry it. And it's magical. It's like the best thing ever with like a Creole mustard or like a ramelade, like so, so good. And no livery taste whatsoever. Cause I, I'm, mm-mm. do you like liver? Do, are you a liverwurst fan or like not at all? Like liverwurst or brown schwager? Um, I would try that. 
Um, on deer opener every year, I have a tradition. I, I only eat um, liverwurst and onion sandwiches with spicy mustard <laughs> and goldfish crackers and coffee until I get my deer. Problem is, this last year, that was my diet for six days. Um, normally, I get my deer in pretty quick. But, um, but I would try that. I, it's, it's good. So that the only difference, so like with liverwurst, you're going to, it's boiled, and then the brown schwager, you're going to smoke it, right? It's basically the same thing, but it's just two different processes. But if you like that, um, I would definitely try it. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts on livers? Rumor has it there's some boudin back in that refrigerator. Too. No, there's That's not. my, don't tell anyone that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to eat Give that. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing there. <laughs> this is not the boudin you're looking Sorry, for. Sorry, there's, there's, there's no liver pate and there's no boudin. I'll just be informed. So a question that I've got um, thinking about, so I came from uh, New Mexico and uh, was a actually got to be successfully hunting javelina which are really cool animals if you get a chance to uh, go hunt them they're awesome but i found that like their heads are just full of meat like there's just a crap ton of meat in like their jowls in their uh collar like, to- on the top of their head and last year i got creative and i tried to do a head cheese with javelina it was fine but if well, it was fine. Um, <laughs> do you have any ideas, like, what else can you, like, do with, like, like animals that have a really, like, muscly head that, like, various ways to, like, get that meat off and use it for something other than a aspic head cheese that may not be the most appealing mm-hmm. thing to most folks? Actually, at the, at the Harvest Nature Field of Fork um, pig camp, every year I make a uh, riette with the, with the head. And basically what that is is you... You simmer the whole head, like skin and cleaned, and uh, simmer it till it's just like fork falling apart. You can just scrape the meat right off. Uh, and then there'll be a lot of fat that'll rise to the top as well. Um, skim off some of that fat and some of the broth um, you've created by boiling the head. Add a lot of seasoning, and then you're just whipping the meat until it breaks down into tiny threads almost. And you're whipping that meat with the fat and the um, the broth and eventually you put it into the fridge and it sets and then it's like a spreadable um kind of a meat uh paste paste yeah. it doesn't sound good when i say it like that but it's really tasty you can brush your teeth with it as well <laughs> so you put it on like a baguette with a little bit like a, a gherkin or you could go with like a jam or something if you want to do different flavors but uh yeah, look up a riette recipe. I think that's a, a fantastic way to go with and it. It's something too like you don't have to eat it hot. See, so it's mm-hmm. like generally eaten room temperature or cold, like traditional like French breakfast food. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't want this kind of much charcuterie. <laughs> I think with head cheese, it's either you like it or you don't. Yeah. Like let's just that's it. I think I, they need to rebrand the name. First yeah, of all, yeah. um, heads, like you said, there's a lot of meat on that head. One of my f- f- favorite parts, there's a, a pocket right behind the eye socket that is just, it's like the oyster on a chicken or a turkey. It's like a oval-shaped, just beautiful, tender, delicious piece of meat. If you can extract that either before or after you cook it, that's, that's just a great little piece. Um, the jowls, like you said, you can cure those into bacon. Um, really easy recipe. The British did what are called bath chaps. So they'd actually cut 
the jawbone where they meet. So it's a bone-in jowl that's cured and then simmered until you can slip the jawbone out. And then they would slice that, cornmeal it, and fry it. It's really good. So that's another, like you said, there's a lot of meat on there. And head cheese is hard for a lot of people to swallow. You, you so. can put the whole thing in the smoker. So I, I'm right like I'm blocks away from North Dakota State University and, and so we have a huge ag school and I can go and they have a butcher shop. So I can I go and experiment with a lot of things. So if I like with the, when he talks about the jowls, they I can get beef cheeks, lamb cheeks, pig cheeks, and so I'll experiment with those. Um, I can get whole pig heads, right? So I've experienced I've put the whole head in the smoker. Um, generally it, they 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 might they'll they'll split it for you, but that might be something so you split your the javelina head down the middle and then and you'll lay it down but like smoke it you can put your rubs and everything on that and then you just pull that cheek meat off and because you have all that meat on there and it is unbelievable you know just have your barbecue sauce like whatever you want to do but i generally i'll just do a rub and that's really really good and i'll show you how to do that when you invite me down to new mexico to go javelina hunting with you <laughs> i'm willing to, to to cook that for you if you show me where there's the javelina so i'll talk we'll talk we'll after talk yeah. <laughs> all right ricky any thoughts no i don't have very much experience with that at all so i'm coming with him all right yeah. ricky and i will be your private chefs yeah. Okay. yeah um all right i'm gonna shift gears a little bit because we're getting we're not tied on time, but we're tied on time. Um, shifting gears a little bit, because I promised you guys we do Let's Make a Meal. So, it's time to make a meal. Uh, so, how we'll go is you guys just provide the ingredients uh, whenever we're queued up, and we'll start to put together something, and there'll be a lot of talking, and then at the end, we'll be like, voila, we'll come up with a dish. But, all right. Anybody have, let's start with a, an animal. Animal first. Any animal that you would consider consumable? Elk. Elk? Yeah. All right, we got elk. All right, now, what part of the elk? Shank. A, shank? Shank. Oh, Yum. softball here. Yeah. <laughs> Making it easy for us now. <laughs> um, all right, so we've got elk, shank. Uh, what's another ingredient? This can be anything. Or let's, let's think. Beets. Hmm? Beets. Beets? I like yeah. it. Beets. Christy. I know exactly what to do with that. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, we're making a braised shank borscht. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Done. We'll yeah. See you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's talk, let's talk through that. So braised, so let's get in a little more detail because we can be as gourmand as we want here. Do we want to smoke the shank, then braise the shank? Oh, I'm getting a nod. Yeah, so Ricky is shaking her head. I don't. Yeah, I don't think and, that's... And Adam is nodding his head. Oh! So I'm nodding my head as well. Just What's for those name? podcast listeners, there's a debate going on. What at my you, end of the I table. Really, it's a I really silent like debate. like a little bit of smoke before a braise. It just adds, you know, again, people have talked about building layers of flavor. And smoke is a really good foundation that if you are careful with the time it's on the smoker you're gonna get little wisps of smoke later on, so. Yeah, my thought that it would be over too overpowering, but I'm willing to try your way. Wisps. Wisps. I, wisps. <laughs> um, I feel like, too, I, I don't know if it would be hard, so thinking through elk shanks, I don't know if it would be hard to overpower it, the elk shanks or the beets. 
Beets. That's a good one. Beets yeah. are something but, that have a lot of terroir. Mm. You have a lot of terroir. Um, all right, so we've got a borscht. What other... Well, so we haven't settled on the preparation. So, all in favor of a smoke and then a braise, raise your hand. All, all not in favor of a smoke and a braise, raise your hand. All right, four to one. <laughs> um, all right, so we're gonna light smoke. Light smoke. Light smoke. Okay? Yeah, light, yeah, smoke. light smoke. Light smoke. <laughs> what flavor? Oh, you had to be. Are, do we have a flavor of wood chips? Hickory. Ooh, that could be. That is intense. I was thinking mesquite. mesquite. Yeah, I like mesquite too. So I was gonna go. I'm a big applewood fan. Oh, now he changed his mind. So now we can use mesquite. <laughs> well, I want to. I your happiness is our only concern. So. <laughs> we want to make sure this recipe, when it does come out on the harvest, especially as we website. serve you this virtual meal. <laughs> um, okay. All right, so we've got borscht. Um, what are we braising the the shanks in? Oh yeah, what are we braising the shanks? Liquid. What liquid? Bone stock yeah. from what animal? Elk. I'd say from the elk itself. Elk. All right. Elk bone stock. Are we adding anything to it? Do we want to put a vinegar? Do we want to put an acid? Do we want to put a beer or whiskey or porter? Porter. Ooh. Ooh. And we're going a little. Yeah, I might go to that field with that flavor. You're gonna be adding like the. Like traditional borscht has like a lot of intense acidity. They usually use something called kvass. Uh, and sometimes there's rye flavors in it, like a uh, rye bread. So the porter may actually work. You, you could make that work. Baltic porter. Yeah, something like that. Ooh, Baltic porter. Source yeah. it from the origin of the dish. There you go. Yeah, that would be good. All right, so we've got that, and we're obviously using our, uh, you know, our aromatics in there. So we've got our onion and uh, probably garlic, and we've Bay. got the beets. All right, let's talk about the beets. What are we gonna do with the beets? Roast them. Roast them. Roast them to char. Skin yeah, char. Char them and then skin them. Wear your rubber gloves when you peel beets because mm-hmm. you'll end up with purple hands. <laughs> I know from experience. <laughs> and, and don't do them on your wife's white countertop. Yeah. <laughs> so do we Even though do, they were for her. We, we didn't clarify. Are we doing yellow beets or red beets? Oh, jeez. Let's go red. Red? Okay. I think red. Nice. Like yellow yeah, beets are a little more... Um, uh, delicate and elk shanks are not delicate. So, what if we're going for yellow beets? We might have to wait for the fall for this recipe to come out. <laughs> red beets are more Winter. accessible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, if we are going to try to pull this together. All right. So, red. We've decided on red. So, I think we've got all the steps of our borscht down. Right. Any other anything else that we should be adding to our borscht that we can think of? Caraway. Yeah. Caraway. Yeah. Okay. Caraways in there. Something acidic. We want some sort of. Uh, vinegar yep. or, or an acidic. What kind of vinegar? Sherry. Sherry? Or champagne. Champagne? I think he's up. Dude, this is going into the actual. <laughs> this is going. She's a pinky up. This is going into the actual base of the soup. And we're obviously going to use that stock again. Probably use the braising liquid. Well, no, since we're putting the porter in it, that would put it off a bit. I use braising liquid for the soup. You use braising liquid in the soup. So now we're continuing to add to that, so we're combining it. So we've got like a really flavorful soup. What else? Are we going to serve this with anything aside, or are we just going to make this the dish? It's going to be really hearty. So I think it would be served with uh, maybe with bread or something, but sour cream. Grilled bread. Grilled bread. Grilled rye bread. Yeah. Yeah. 
Grilled yeah. rye bread. Some super cream. rich yeah, sour cream. Yeah, we need cream. the sour cream. Yeah, yeah. dollop of sour cream. Yeah. And what is it? Um, dill. Yeah, dill. dill. Maybe or, some wild dill. Yeah, chervil works really nice too, but it's very hard to find. Yep. Ooh, yep. I like the horseradish. Yeah. I would like to put the horseradish in into it. earlier, yeah. maybe in the braise, yeah. a little bit in the braise, then a little bit in an addition in the braising liquid, so you're building on those layers like Ricky mentioned. And a little bit of sour cream at the end. And a little bit in the, oh, in the sour cream. And then the last question, do we, do we blitz the beets into a um, paste and, and stir that into the broth to create like a silky soup, or do we leave chunks, or do we do both? Half and half. Half and yeah. half? Yeah. Half and half? That could be good. That way, every bite you're getting a bit of beets. I think we got a good. I think we got a good soup here. I'm hungry. I'm hungry too. I haven't <laughs> had lunch. I was kind of cheating. I just have a venison shank borscht recipe on my website already. So. Here, Ricky and I were gonna go to New Mexico and make this at Ryan's Havelina camp. Yeah. <laughs> we can just we Google can still it. Go. Yeah. yeah. I don't have the access to the internet, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <We're going. laughs> All right. Any any questions uh, before we wrap up? Any last thoughts? Oh yes. Um, I'm corning an elk roast right now. Um, how do you think I should cook it? I want to say it was like the top or bottom round. I forgot. Once I got rid of the bag. So once it's corn in the roast, I mean, is it corn like? Is it in the liquid right now, Michelle? Yeah. Okay. It's been about three days now. So make sure you don't, when you cook it, don't cook it in that liquid. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's just number one. Um, and really when you're doing, I just did, uh, I just did corn rabbit, so this is fresh in my mind. Um, and and I, so when you do any, like corn venison or anything like that, um, so after, when you take it out, how, how long are you corning it? Um, I think it's been three days. I think I'm going to cook it off tomorrow. Okay. How big, early. like when you say you're cut, how, how many pounds? Probably like five. It was about five pounds, maybe a little bit more. Okay. And I don't know like what everybody's, you can go anywhere depending on how, and I don't know what brine you use, so you could do anywhere from five days, seven days. I mean, some people do, you know, it depends on what you're, how salty you want it. Yeah. Um, but then make sure you rinse that off rinse it. really well. Um, and pat it dry and then I just do it in water um, that's one of the one things you know Ricky you know um, would you just put it in water I, I used water when I corked okay well I, she said she didn't she only used it for coffee well, and I think potatoes there's and always pasta. an exception <laughs> so there's four things Ricky uses for water yes four um, but and it depends on what you want to do with it so you could do uh, if you want to do like a corn um, like corn elk and you yeah so I just did three different ones out of that rat. So um, you could do a corned, um, corned elk, because you said it was elk, corned elk and cabbage. So you might have potatoes and onions um, and carrots. Um, you could do a, uh, a, corned venison, a corned elk hash, right? Um, Irish egg rolls, Ooh, really good. That's, if that's anybody's had good. Irish egg rolls at, a, at an <laughs> Irish pub, um, yeah. those are really good. And I think, does somebody have a recipe? It might be a recipe on harvesting nature, you, you actually, could, for corn. Yeah, I think so. You could, also, um, you could also smoke it. Smoke yeah. it, and if you guys yeah. like lunch meat or like deli-type meat, you could slice some of it pretty thin and use it in like a, like a sandwich or lunch meat type. That would, work. Yeah. That would be really and good. And if too. you took it and rubbed it with black pepper and coriander and hot smoked it, you get 
pastrami. pastrami. Yeah. Okay. It's just, it's basically if if you look at pastrami, it's you're doing the corn not depending on what which recipe you're using. But yeah, I always do when I make my pastrami like goose pastrami. It's it's corned. Yeah. The first process is corned, and then the second process is making it into pastrami. So I that way I can go either way. Um, but there's cut in half. What's that? Maybe I'll cut in yeah. half. Yeah, yeah, and try yeah. and try it a couple different ways. Yeah. One of my favorite or things like, to do like, like that is uh, always Reuben sandwiches. Oh yeah. It's yeah. You never ever go wrong with a Reuben sandwich. Absolutely. Thanks. That was a great question. I also too. I've been. Um, it was like I did a ham a while back that came out really, really good, and I I actually soaked it for an extra day in just water after I'd hit that curing mark, and I felt it pulled some of that salt saltiness out. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Any other thoughts on one way to make sure you don't oversalt is equilibrium cure, so you know your quantity of of salt based upon how many pounds of meat you have. So can you talk about that, on Yeah, um, equilibrium curing. Uh, you're using weight and it's anywhere between 1.8 and 2.5 percent salt by weight so if you're corning in liquid you would weigh the meat and the water and then that way you can very accurately dial in your salt and if you're eating it cold you're not going to perceive salt in something cold as much as you do hot so keep that in mind Sweet. Another question. Yeah. So uh, Sean from San Diego here. I'm, thanks for you guys all being here. This has been really, really educational. Um, I'm incredibly new to hunting. I actually will be going most likely on my first hunt this fall. And one of the things that I'm most scared about is putting all of the money, time, resources, and effort into actually getting something and then taking it home, cooking it, and absolutely butchering it. And so I'm curious from you guys, have like, is this not just me and I'm, this is a fear that everyone else doesn't have? Or, like, have you guys gone through this and botched meals, learned lessons? Is this part of the normal process? Because I want to get to where you guys are, but I know there's many years of mistakes that, you know, I have yet to make. And so I'm wondering, is that normal? Uh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I, I make mistakes a lot. <laughs> yeah. I know you, you touched on it yeah. a little bit, but, you um, know. I would say, like, if you're going to test something, if you're like, I'm going to learn a new method, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Maybe don't try it initially with game. Mm-hmm. Okay. Go to the store and buy that cut of like a domestic and try that so you can test it and then be like, all right, I've got this down. Now I'll move it over to wild game. Then I'll prepare that cut that way, you know, or that, you know, for sausage making the first time, if, you know, well, sausage making is a poor example because if you can't, if you improperly case the sausage or the case explodes or whatever, you can just have a sausage patty, like at the end of the day, but, uh, you know, test the methods out. If there's something also what I do, I research the way that I approach preparation is I research from several different sources. I pull from what I like and sort of combine this hodgepodge of what I make sense in my mind. I either type it or write it down. And then when I make it, I pencil notes in so that next time I do do it, I know like my corrections that I would do different, like in the moment. But then also, I'm also equally prepared. That first bite, sometimes you're like, all right, hope this is good. (laughs) But generally, like you'll get get an idea. And the more comfortable, I think the biggest thing with people uh, in approaching game is like, it's such a precious resource, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned, is like, I'm afraid to mess this up, but that's okay. It's okay. Usually nothing is beyond being able to be salvaged. Like I think Adam's got a good story about falling asleep and Oh yeah. 
Yeah, my, yeah. <laughs> I was uh, had this big idea for this uh, venison neck um, roast. I was gonna braise it down in all these ch- uh, Chinese liquids, and and uh, it's gonna be a big deal. And it was in the Dutch oven, in my oven, going bubbling away, and it was almost ready. I was just about ready to pull it out. So my dog is being really cute. Went down on the couch and played with her a little bit, and I woke up an hour later to the smell of smoke, and rushed to the kitchen and, and ah, I pulled it out. And the uh, all the braising liquid had gone down into char on the bottom, but I was able to pull out the roast, and there was very little burning on that, and it was beyond salvageable for the dish that I had in mind. But there's this other Chinese dish uh, that I've always kind of wanted to try, um, and it's basically like something braised for a long time and then sliced cold. So I wrapped this venison neck in plastic wrap, super tight, and just yanked it really tight, put it in the fridge, let it set, brought it out the next day, sliced it on a slicer, and it was better than the original roast could have ever been. Um, So if you mess up, start getting creative. (laughs) Uh, Chop it up and make it into fried rice, or, or put it in a braise and just let it go all day until it falls apart, or like, unless you really, really, really mess it up, there's usually a way to save it. So just don't, don't dwell on it. Just, you know, I messed up, yeah. move on and, and, and push it behind you and, and don't make the mistake again next time kind of thing. Yeah. I would recommend starting with simpler things for sure um, until you become comfortable with how it tastes. What are you hunting for? You, did uh, you mention that? I think the California chapter is probably, I think they're going to take me dove hunting to start and awesome. then I'll eventually move into large game. But Okay, beautiful. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they'll I have, they'll have a lot everything. of tips and tricks for yeah. you too but just start simple with maybe like roasting it and then once you get comfortable with that start diving in and you're going to be an expert in no time okay yeah and sean i think sean and i met yesterday and i think because he wants to cook wild game for his girlfriend right so that she'll eat it right um and i think one of the things too when you go to, when we go to the grocery store we have it's a good idea you have a recipe or something you have a plan of you have a meal plan in your head you go to the grocery store to buy the ingredients for that dish, right? Before I go hunting, I have it in my head because I've been dreaming about this all year of what recipes I want to do for that animal. Now, sometimes I'll come up with different things or I'll see something that Ricky's doing or Justin's doing or Adam's doing or Adam and I'm like, oh, I want to try that, right? But generally, when I go into a hunting season, I kind of have a plan. And so you're going to treat things different. So if you're not, if you may, may not have the capacity to butcher it yourself, but you want to know if you're going to do shanks. You just don't want to drop your animal off and you get it back and he or she didn't, that butcher didn't give you shanks. So now you're like, oh, because they just turned it into the grind pile. So being very intentional um, of kind of having an idea of what you want to do, because I know I I had suggested shanks Mm because, you know, um, when we talked about, but maybe going through a cookbook, um, what's one of those favorite things that she loves to eat or that you love to eat? And that you want to try it, like ahead of time, like this is our favorite food. It might be a pizza, it might be tacos, or it might be a pasta dish. And go into the hunting season with that idea, you're going to treat that meat differently, um, whether how you package it or w- whether you butcher it yourself or you take it in, because you want certain things back. And I think that's just an idea of something. Um, plan ahead and say, I, when we get our meat back, let's go ahead and try this. Like go through cookbooks or, or go, on the, go online and, and, and really kind of have an idea of what you want to do. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I, I'll say this to you about cookbooks uh, in general. 
buy a cookbook that talks about technique and history and background, not just a cookbook that has nice pictures. Those are always great, but if you are thirsting for more knowledge, ones that you just flip through and just see recipe, picture, recipe, picture, recipe, picture, the recipes are probably great and the food, the art's gonna look awesome, but if you wanna learn techniques, you gotta look for books that provide more context. And there's there's a de definite division in, in the recipe world of like, things that provide background and technique and things that just provide preparation, like an ingredients list. So uh, it's something to think about when you flip through books at the, at the store. So. Um, so we're kind of, we are uh, unfortunately out of time, so we'll do one last round of sort of final thoughts. Uh, so we'll start with Adam down at the end. Any thoughts, ideas, concepts you want to leave, uh, leave the audience with? Well, I think we just talked about it. Technique, having those techniques down, grilling, braising, searing, just, that's a good tool to have in your bag. It's going to get you a long ways, just knowing when to apply what techniques to what cuts of meat. Ricky? Yeah. Um, and then just having that basic arsenal in your kitchen, um, good salt, stocks, flavorings, acids. Um, they don't go bad generally very quickly, so you can buy, you know, a good quantity of it and just have it as backup. Um, I also buy a lot of cooking wine. I do like the boxed wine because that never goes bad. And the amount of times that I need wine in a recipe is a lot. So it's nice to have something just that I can pull out of the cupboard. Yeah, I think... Um you know, a lot of us write recipes for a living. And, and one of the things, though, too, is I, I always have to remember um, when you look at a recipe, for, for any of you out there, when you, when you look at a recipe, make sure that directions in the recipe might say to cook for this amount of time, especially when we're talking about wild game meat. Um, and it, if you're trying to transition and use a recipe that maybe you found for beef or lamb or something like that, now you're going to try to use it um, for wild game just make sure you're cooking not to time but to temperature right we've talked really about that making sure you're cooking it to um to medium rare or so that because if you just go by time you can very easily ruin a piece of fit i've looked in cookbooks and i'm like are you kidding me right now and there's somebody who is a very well-known um cook uh who has one of the biggest food blogs in in all, all around. You talking and about me again? No, not you. <laughs> <laughs> but she, but she, I, I picked up her cookbook at the library, and um, and I and I went through it, and she has a f um, cooking flank steak to um, 150 degrees, and um, or was it 160 degrees? I I, I think it was 160 because I, I I almost fell over, <laughs> and I'm like somebody either either I, anyway. Um, so I think just making sure uh, cooking. That's my that's my tip. Um, cooking to temperature not necessarily to time and even even if even if it's a recipe that we've done and you go on there and we say to cook about you'll you'll see that a lot about eight to ten minutes or about because we want you to encourage you to cook to that temperature sweet man so just approach it with an open mind a lot of people get kind of narrowly focused when it comes to wild game for some reason they, they feel constricted by boundaries there are no boundaries approach it with an open mind try something new um it's probably gonna be good yeah, I, uh, holy smokes, a lot of good information. Uh, thanks, everybody, for, for the, all the questions I like. And let's make a meal. That was fun. You guys think you're going to go home and make that dish? I think I will. Beets, borscht, thank you. <laughs> um, no, it, it, really great. And I think, too, just 
just uh, you know, as, as Sean mentioned, a question like it's o- it's okay to make mistakes in the kitchen. It's okay to recoup. It's okay to take. Well, it's not okay to take naps while you <laughs> but <laughs> it's not recommended. Um, but if, if it's in a crock pot, yeah, if it's in a crock pot, it's different. But uh, uh, you know, I, I think I think just looking at food at wild food is is a food, right? Is what it is. Is like that's the biggest thing, and it's okay to fail. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to rebound. At the end of the day, like we just want to eat it and enjoy it. So I think keep it fun, right? I think about that a lot too, is like you're doing X and Y and Z and if it's not fun anymore, why are you doing it? Like that's the type of deal. So that too, I know it's, it's a very valuable piece of uh, sustenance, but it's still food at the end of the day. And uh, don't, don't make it stressful on yourself, I think is my biggest tip too. So up here in the front, we've got uh, two, two pieces of, I don't know, signage that one's the wild fishing game podcast. The other one's antler and Finn, which is uh, Adam's podcast that he hosts, um, both on our website, but the QR codes here will get you there. So if you want to subscribe or do whatever, please, uh, this goes out there to everyone in, uh, in the digital land, uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening to, please punch that five star button and leave us a review. Uh, tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like, tell us what we did good or what we did bad. Like we want to hear it all, but thanks everybody for listening and have a good night.